0: Welcome back to the Passive Road to Retirement Podcast. We are your hosts, Andrew Jarrett and Nick Cooper. Today, we're joined by Jonathan J.D. Dempsey. J.D. is a real estate investor, agent, and business owner that specializes in short-term rentals. This 28-year-old millionaire reached financial freedom before age 30 by building a portfolio of over 70 short-term rental units. In the last 24 months, JD has created a short-term rental property management business that manages a portfolio of over 100 units across multiple cities. He believes that financial independence is a lifestyle and that anyone with an ounce of desire to be financially independent should pursue it. This is why he created the Live Free Movement to teach entrepreneurs how to chase their path to financial freedom and explore the world. JD, welcome to the
1: show. Andrew, Nick, thank you guys so much for having me uh, and the gracious introduction. I really appreciate it. And I'm excited to dive into some real estate today.
2: What what brought you into this short-term rental lifestyle? Yeah,
1: you know, it, it actually happened by accident. I uh, originally was shopping for some multifamilies, uh, The way that i got into real estate was i was living with a friend he was essentially house hacking Uh, i was paying rent to live in his attic uh and that's when the the light bulb went off and i realized i wanted to do the same thing i wanted to house hack so i was looking at multi-families to house hack and uh, i actually had a place under contract and went through the final walkthrough the roof had collapsed in a couple days right before closing uh, from a rainstorm uh, and i pivoted to just purchasing a luxury new construction house Uh, knowing that there wouldn't be anything wrong with it, and I just wanted to make a move. Uh, From there, I was waiting for a buddy to move into my house hack, and he suggested I put it on Airbnb until he could move in, which once I did that, I realized that spare bedroom was making enough to cover the entire mortgage on a four-bedroom house. Uh, If I put a whole house up, chances are I'll cover well more than the mortgage, and the rest was history.
2: No, it's great. Thanks for that one.
0: That's awesome. So uh I guess what do you look for when you're looking for a short-term rental? We're more, we have a lot of uh, multifamily passive investors. So um just kind of curious, like how does that differ? The numbers, like was there like cash flow charts or what do you what are you looking at?
1: Yeah, so short-term rental is an interesting niche because it can be combined with other uh real estate avenues. Um, whether you're looking to do the burn method or you're going multifamily, um, you can certainly still pursue short term rental. Um, a lot of times what I've done is I buy things that are more turnkey, um, or just a light renovation, uh, not too many refinances in the picture. Uh, and from there, I just, I look for the same things that I would want to stay in. Um, obviously value comes into play. You want to make sure you're getting a good deal. Um, but if you can look for places that maybe, um, they already look like they'd be fabulous short-term rentals, but the previous owner maybe just wasn't having luck with their revenue. Um, you can get right in and immediately increase the the revenue by managing it the right way. And now you have a whole new value to that home. Um, and with short-term rentals, the cash flow is a lot higher. So it's a little easier to find deals, um, but I would say stick to your metrics. Uh, I know you guys probably have them in multifamily. Uh, there are certain metrics that you're going for. And with short-term rentals, it's usually around 15 to 20% cash on cash is what we consider a deal.
2: Okay. With, with short-term rentals, now I know there's a lot of You know, in the news, we hear about, you know, the Airbnb, supposed bust and whatnot. Have you seen anything like that or do you foresee or do you foretell that happening?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, The short-term rental space is really tricky, um, both from a regulatory standpoint and a saturation standpoint. Uh, So you want to make sure you're looking in a traditional vacation market. But on top of that, with everyone rushing into short-term rentals, uh, the number one thing I would say is to look for something that's unique. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll give you an example in, in the Poconos market, uh, here in Pennsylvania, it's, it's a mountain town and most houses, 60% of them are three bedrooms, uh, and another 30% are four bedrooms. So if you can find a house that's either two bedrooms or less or five bedrooms or more, uh, the chances that you perform well are a lot higher. So it's, it's staying unique amongst the crowd, um, and looking to make sure you have amenities that guests would want. So hot tubs, game rooms, um, if the house doesn't have it, that's fine. You can always add those things, but you want to make sure you do have the bones
2: to add those amenities. So in your market, just kind of add on that, what is, I, I guess, the best uh, bang for your buck amenity?
1: Hot tub is probably one of the better ones. Um, they can be a little pain to to upkeep and they can also be not working and guests could be looking for refunds. But at the same time, uh, ask anyone you know who books a short-term rental uh, hot tub tends to be kind of the deal breaker. If one house has it and the other house doesn't, it's an easy choice.
2: That no, makes sense. It does. Like, yeah. I think I have a hot tub in my house now and it's, if you got a hot tub or a pool, you got a problem.
1: <laughs> yeah. So definitely keep those problems in mind when you underwrite. Uh, You're yeah. going to have to spend a little bit on maintenance throughout the year, but it's still a really good ROI. It's cool.
0: Now we noticed in the show notes, it says you're currently working on a, I think, $5 million burr. It's an 11 acre, 43 unit resort, converting it from long-term rentals back into like a modern cabin. Maybe you can kind of go over that and and kind of how you're looking at that deal.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So this deal is a little more up your alley originally. Um, it's been long-term for about two decades now. Uh, so it originally opened as a resort. Um about 70 years ago. Uh, Since then, the last two decades as long-term, there's two apartment buildings, um, one with 11 units, one with four units. Uh, Then there's a 12-unit motel building. There are 11 cabins spread out across, uh, and then another four-unit motel. So for me, um, seeing motel units and cabins rent uh, as long-term didn't make a lot of sense. Um, They were pulling in between $600 and $800 a month. uh, Knowing that since the units tend to be a little smaller, um, they just don't make sense for someone to live in full-time. Uh, those units needed to be renovated. So what we did is uh, we've been pouring uh, money into them. We're budgeting about 500000 to finish the renovations across 28 units that'll become short-term. Um, so we're taking these uh, dilapidated units and making them feel like the cabins they're supposed to be. And we're having a lot of success with renting them out for a whole lot more. Uh, leaving the apartment buildings as apartments. They're already
2: renovated, easy play.
0: Hmm, okay.
2: Kind of along those lines, I've heard of, you know, there's some operators in the multifamily space that rent out some of their units, like say like, hey, you have a you have a 50 unit, you rent out like two or three to kind of like smooth out that, you know, the kind of lost to lease, we call it. Have you seen anyone doing that?
1: Yeah. So I actually arbitrage a couple of buildings, um, one in Philadelphia, one in Pittsburgh, um, where the owner does exactly that. So what they'll do is they might have 80 units in a building and they'll, um, without even getting the risk of getting into short-term, they'll allow other people to short-term and maybe it's 10 or 20 units of the 80, um, but that really f- fills all their gaps. So once they hit the the 20 units that they're Allowing for short-term rental, um, they continue to lease normal. But until they hit that point, uh, if they have any vacant units, they just ask operators in the area to take them over. Which is, I think, something you can do in a lot of markets. Uh, there's no
2: shortage of people looking to arbitrage, and you can still win as the landlord. So, as a landlord, how would I kind of like what's in it? I mean, for me, besides getting someone paying, you know, rent, is it do I get a higher premium of rent from the short term, or what's kind of the upside for for both?
0: Hey, everyone. Hope you're enjoying this episode. Are you ready to maximize your real estate investing to its full potential? Send me an email at andrew at and take your life and business to all new levels. That's Andrew at J-A-R-R-E-T-T Capital.com.
1: So, the upside for the landlord is you're probably going to lock someone in for at least three years at market rent, um, maybe even a little bit higher. Uh, if you can find the right operator and the opportunities there, but you get the three-year lease, you get the rent that you want. um, And now you're not dealing with vacancies on what otherwise might've been units that for whatever reason are struggling to rent.
2: Okay. Makes sense.
0: Hmm. Okay. Do you take on like an additional liability policy, you know, insurance wise for that or how, or is the landlord responsible for all the insurance of people coming in and out or how's, how's that work?
1: Yeah. So you get your typical renter's insurance. And then on top of that, Um, as the unit renter, uh, you're going to have insurances through each platform that you're renting through Airbnb has their own. And then we contact safely, uh, which is a third party insurance that gives you liability coverage up to a million. Uh, and then you also have damage coverage up to a certain threshold. So the insurance is relatively easy to play through. Um, I think society is kind of caught up on the
2: options there.
0: Hmm. That's cool.
2: Uh, That's a a great option for people that, especially multifamily to kind of, you know, smooth out your occupancy and and possibly, you know, maybe make a bit more than market rent on, on these units.
0: Yeah. How do you typically find your deals? Is it through brokers or like direct to seller or any other, you know, networking ways or?
1: Yeah. So I've always found them, um, kind of boots to ground. Uh, I spent a lot of time in Philly and now in the Poconos, it's the same way, uh, as I got my real estate license so that I could look at houses without needing to show up at open houses or contact Mm -hmm. agents. Um, not that there's anything wrong with them. It's just easier when you can walk right in. Um, and through time, just looking at so many houses, what, regardless of market I was in, uh, I would meet the developers. I would meet, uh, agents in the market. Um, and I would just tell everyone what it is that I do. And over time after a year or two in a market, um, People would start to send me listings off market before they were even planning to list, list them, whether they were still in the renovation process, um, whether they needed to be renovated entirely and they thought that it could make a good short term rental after I put money into it. Um, the network has been the biggest key for finding deals uh, as opposed to any other platform.
0: Yeah, similar to multifamily. Yeah, once you get your network established, you pretty much that helps. You know, you get the off market listings and that's typically
1: better than something on market. Totally. Totally. And you just, you have to be in touch with the right agents or the right developers. That's, that's the name of the game. Yeah. Yep. So
2: what point, uh, sorry, I'll, I'll finish this one here. What point did you become doing this full time? We're like, I know you had like the light bulb went off. when We started house hacking, but when you're like, okay, this is like a viable business. I, I can do this.
1: Yeah. So once I had six short-term rentals, um, I was working a W2 job making a, about 70,000 a year. Um, the flow from my six short-term rentals was higher than my W2 job. And Mm -hmm. at that point, uh, that's kind of when the live free movement got started, where I decided to promote entrepreneurship, uh, as opposed to, um, staying corporate, uh, because when you go into work and your rentals are making more than you're making for being there, um, Mm -hmm. the work becomes a lot harder to do. Uh, and I had, I had no hard feelings with my job. I had a great job, great employer, um, it just, as I saw that
2: rentals were working, it was much easier to take the leap and go full-time into real estate. How, how long was that from when you went from, you know, zero to six, how long did it take you? Uh, it was about two and a half years
1: okay. and it, it would have been a lot quicker, but I had some houses being built during COVID that took like 18 months instead of uh, the six months they were supposed to.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Out of all the deals you've done, now you have 70, right? Or around 70 or so, short rentals. Out of all those, I guess what's been your best deal and what was your worst deal?
1: Yeah, sure. So best deal, um, I've had a, a couple that are pretty favorable. Um, the resort project I'm working on now is going very well uh, because they're all studio one and two bedroom units in a market that's oversaturated with three and four bedrooms. Um, they're able to clean up pretty well, and I've been able to design them how I want. The house that I just mentioned I was waiting to get built was a really good deal uh, because it took so long. I had it under contract originally to be built um, for a pretty low deposit, and with it taking so long, it appreciated a ton before it was finished, and because I got to customize it, I put a hot tub on the third-floor roof deck um, that overlooks the city, and there, you have to you have to plan that before you build it, so it's not like other people can just copy it. Um, so mm. that deal went really well. Um, a deal that I had go not so well, uh, it was in the Poconos market, which all have septic systems. Um, mm. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar, but, uh, the septic system, the, the previous seller had basically patched it up enough so that it wouldn't show up on an inspection and the house was good to go for like six months. Mm. Um, but after the six month uh-huh. mark, the septic had failed, uh, and that totally killed the deal. I ended up having to to sell the house thereafter. Oh, man
2: what what kind of expense does that come out to me for a septic uh all in it was like forty thousand dollars oh wow for... um,
0: yeah it'll it'll throw your numbers off <laughs> yeah.
2: Wow did you end up at, did you buy that all, I mean you bought it six months later you realized when it failed like you had to get out of it well it also took a
1: while to to fix it and the the bigger issue was I bought it with a couple of friends. Um, and I, I was okay with fixing the septic and then continuing to rent because we had locked in a really low mortgage rate. Um, but they didn't want to shell out any money for the septic and they preferred to just sell it and move on. They had a bad taste in their mouth. Uh, understandably.
0: no, yeah. no, yeah, it happens. Okay. So as of recording, we're almost halfway through 2023. I guess, what are you most excited about for the rest of the year? And is there anything that you know, keeps you up at night or you're nervous about on the horizon?
1: Yeah. So I'm most excited about some of the projects I have going on. Um, I started working with some local developers. uh, So I I have some custom built homes coming, um, which are really nice as an investor myself, but also as an agent um, understanding the process of how to build these things and being able to sell the lot and land together um, to build some pretty cool short-term rentals is, is really exciting. Uh, finishing out the resort project and refinancing that is really exciting um what I'm nervous about is refinancing the resort project um <laughs> uh it's going really well but it is my first burr project so it's I decided to start with a really big project to, on the first one um and I'm just excited to get that refinance behind me
0: uh, I guess what is the the live free movement can you kind of tell us how you came up with that and and what exactly that entails
1: Yeah. So it was really hard for me to leave, uh, like a cushy corporate job and get into real estate full-time, even though I was already doing really well with it. So I wanted to create a space where entrepreneurs could chase the same thing, chase their business. Um, and since I started it, I've essentially brought, uh, people into the management company to help out with renovations. Um, or as investors uh, who are now working on a portfolio of investments themselves. um, And they've been able to leave similar corporate jobs and chase real estate full-time, be fully immersed, um, start their own contracting businesses, start their own interior design businesses, uh, start to be investors full-time and just have that culture of people who are doing that and creating passive income for themselves and businesses for themselves. um, That's what I've been
2: looking to promote with it.
0: That's awesome. That's a great movement.
2: Love it. (laughs) very nice almost like a fire movement but like you know amplified
1: yeah totally and it it gets a little misconstrued sometimes um we all get into real estate to try to be financially free and be able yeah. to do what we want um which you guys probably know as business owners uh you have way less time um but uh-huh. the thing about it is it's much more flexible you do still get to make the decisions of when you work and when you don't so that's the environment we've,
2: we've been looking to push Nile. No, I like how you, you know, having that, that sense of community and building that, that's something that's definitely like a lot of folks are, you know, starting out. So if, if I was starting out and wanted to get into this program, how would, or this community, how would I do that?
1: Yeah. So we actively stay on touch on a couple of different social platforms. Um, the, the easiest way is to get in touch with us via Instagram. Um, and then from there we do weekly calls uh, where we run through our goals, what kind of stuff we're working on within our business. Um it's a little easier if you're local or able to be local um, and able to kind of get assimilated and work on what you want to within the management uh, atmosphere that we have working on. But otherwise, I mean, just getting in touch with us and keeping your goals accountable are two of the biggest ways. And one thing that we do every year is we go out to Hawaii. Um, I have a place out there. So all of the entrepreneurs take a week to a month off and just come stay out at my place in Hawaii. So to celebrate a good year of hitting some goals.
2: That is amazing. I love that.
0: So do you raise any private money for these as well? Like, are you out, uh, like, do you syndicate any of these or is it all, you know, mostly in-house or how does that work with the financing?
1: So I've syndicated a couple of deals before. Um, I've syndicated. My first one was about a $100,000 raise. Second one was about 200000 to take the deal down. And then the last one was $1. $1.5 Uh Just kept raising the bar. Um, syndicating money is a challenge in itself. Uh, I think a lot of times it helps me a lot that I have a lot of investments um, and that I'm putting money into the deal. Those those tend to be the two things that people are looking for. Yeah. Um but really if the deal is right you can syndicate anything I'm sure you guys have experienced the same thing um you just have to have the right property and and paint the vision for people and you'll be able to get the money to show up
2: No, oh, and that's a good way to to think about it is that you know I a lot of investors ask the first thing is like what are you putting in here and you know my wife and I was like we're the largest investor in here so yeah we're in it too
1: exactly yeah skin <laughs> in the game
2: yep.
0: Now, if someone's looking to get into the short-term rental, what's the first, maybe one, two, three you know, things they can, they should do. What kind of tips do you have for somebody just starting out? Like what should they focus on?
1: Uh, you want to connect with someone who has short-term rentals. Um, there are plenty of short-term rental agents out there that can help you out. Uh, and they can point you in the right direction on how to uh, underwrite deals. So you guys are very familiar with underwriting multifamily um, and long-term deals. It's the same thing with short-term rentals. You need the spreadsheet out. You need to run the numbers. Uh, Napkin math-wise, you probably want the gross revenue to be about 20% of what the purchase price is, and then you can dive deeper from there. Um, But I would say making the right connections, um, picking a market uh, that you want to be in, uh, those are two of the main things that you want to start with. And what I tell people, and the reason that I got into short-term rentals is I move around a lot. Um, I've always been really bad at staying in one place for a certain amount of time. So I just buy wherever I move to next. Uh, that's how I ended up with the place in Hawaii. Um, so I buy rentals in places that I like to be, or I know that I'll be, um, and then I rent them out when I'm not there so that they cover the mortgage. Um, and that's part of the live free movement as well as being able to live where you want, um, via real estate.
0: That's cool. I like that. I guess what would be the number one takeaway that you would want our audience to absorb
1: from this show? Number one takeaway would be to be very careful getting into short-term rentals and looking for things that are unique. Um, the Airbnb or bus thing is is definitely real. Uh, and short-term rentals are purely a game of hospitality. Um, you could have a not so great house and still make great money. Um, they're not passive investments. You do have to either have a good manager or you need to uh, be on top of it. Um, you need to be able to react to your guests. And that's what helped me a lot when I was working my job and handling those first six rentals is I was always quick to respond back to the guests. I was super friendly, super positive. And it's really hard for someone to leave you a bad review if you're super helpful. Um, and they booked the house. So they, they know what they were walking into. And as long as it's the same thing that they were expecting to walk into your house, doesn't have to be perfect, but you need to be perfect
2: on the back end with the hospitality side. It's a great way of looking at it. It's not just, you know, real estate, you're in hospitality and people are paying for an experience, right? So that's just what you're, you're providing is that experience, not just the house, which they know they're getting from the pictures, but the actual like feeling experience that they get once they arrive. So that's good.
0: Yeah, I agree. So I guess one more question for you when we'll get into our five to thrive, I guess, is there any myths out there about the Airbnb market or the short-term rentals that you want to bust?
1: It's the arbitrage game. Um, The arbitrage game is uh, often fantasized as like a low barrier to entry um, with high upside. And that worked for a lot of people earlier on. But there are so many people trying to get into the space that landlords can get above market rent. And you want to be careful not to pay too much. Uh, And I would warn that when you own a house, you have the principal pay down, you have the appreciation behind it. All the work you're putting in is kind of threefold. Uh, mm-hmm. But when you're arbitraging, uh, you only really get the cash flow and you're not building equity in anything. So if if I were a new investor um, with not a lot of money, I would stay away from trying to just run right into the game and get into arbitraging. And I would try to save up some money, do my research and purchase a house.
0: Yeah, more, that's a great, point. great advice. Definitely. Now, one more time, how should people reach out and contact you?
1: Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Live Free with JD uh or our rental website, uh livefreehospitality.com. Awesome. So
0: now we're into our Five to Thrive, which is a word association game. So I'm just gonna rattle off five words, kind of rapid fire. Just give me the first word or phrase that comes to mind first. The only thing is you cannot repeat the same answer. Sure. Let's do it. All right, here we go. First one, house hacking.
1: Uh, good tenants. Short term rentals. Cash flow. Burr investing. Budgeting. Mm.
0: Mm. Net worth. Takes time. And live free.
1: Being yourself. All right. Like it. Well, hey J D was great to have you on the show. Thanks, Thanks for coming on. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. Uh, you had some really great questions and uh I was happy to be here.